0: This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy? On 131 806 and Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world.
1: Is life better now, away from Canberra and out of politics?
0: Life is, is better now, away from Canberra, being in human land. I obviously wanted to be honest, but there were four words that basically made me the whistleblower. Those four words were the entrenched anti-women workplace culture in the parliament, which I've witnessed and experienced from both sides. Has Richmond lost the plot? No, Corrie, they've
1: lost the hunger. Very simple answer. Did you have tears? That would have been a No, but we were, bo- we were both so happy because they clearly knew each other. Was, oh. And they were identical and they were so happy to see each
2: well, other. Well, you've got to get them together again. You can't have the sisters apart for years and years.
1: Apparently, if they get together within the first 12 months of their lives, they'll always remember each other.
0: Don't shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corrie Perkin.
1: Welcome everybody to episode 180. Yes, that's right, 180 of the wonderful Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast. Let's give ourselves a pat on the back today, Corrie. 180. We've got we well, we've, we've got the wonderful Miles from the Cocktail Cabinet, Prince Wine Store, one of our wonderful sponsors later on. But it's very much um, a celebration of women today. We've got some great... We've got a great guest coming up in Julia Banks, of course, the author of Power Play, and we're going to talk to her in just a moment, Corrie. We're also going to talk about... The girl, well, she's 25, who made us walk a little taller when we all woke up on Sunday morning, unless we'd sat up with her on Saturday night, Ash Barty, my yeah. crush of the week last week. Oh, just you saying. picked it.
2: We're part of the Barty party we are.
1: Thank you also to our other wonderful show sponsors, Red Energy. Most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. We'll be talking, of course, about um, the new winners of our wine appreciation course, which is given to us by Prince Wine Store. And we tell you to please... Come and see us next week at the Astor Theatre. That's Thursday the 22nd of July at the Don't Shoot the Messenger and the Sounding Board Live podcast. Or as um, my friend at Footy Classified called it the other night, Don't shoot the sounding board. Come and see Corrie and I with Damien Barrett and Craig Hutchison. Tickets are $35, 5pm arrival. The podcast starts at 6. You get a drink when you arrive and then you get to listen to all of us and proceeds are donated to the Breast Cancer Network Australia. Corrie, I'm really looking forward to it. I am too,
2: Caro. I can't wait to meet the boys on stage and we'll be talking not just about football but all sorts of interesting issues they might even have a recipe for us, which would be great. Well,
1: Damien might. I don't think Craig will, but it's been an eventful few weeks for Craig. So, yep, heaps to unpack there, as they say. Corrie, a bit of housekeeping before we move on. Um, can I first just thank our wonderful friend, Cat Newton, Catherine Newton, and her wonderful new business, Vintage Collect underscore. That's what it's called if you want to Google it or look it up on Instagram, Vintage Collect underscore. She... Um, to show off her wares, which seem to sell like hotcakes the minute they go online, she sent me the most beautiful vintage green – and you know I collect green glass. Did you tell her I collected green yes, glass? Yes, we did actually have a bit of a word.
2: But the most J- stunning Jane bars. I, while you were in Amsterdam, Jane and I were the recipients, actually, of some of Kat's uh, very kind – well, I'll just call it booty. Let's put it out there, uh, which was very thoughtful, and I'm so pleased that um, – that you've received something that's really lovely, but it's a great little Instagram account. Every Sunday, uh, little finding finds that cat is sourced from different suppliers and so on. Uh, they they go up on the Instagram account, and people bid for them. Uh, wonderful way to oh buy gifts. Um, Miss Jane is decorating her entire house through the whole thing. Um, yeah, so it's um, really good. Well done, good little business, cat.
1: Now, Corrie, remember last week I mentioned that two Australians had good wins on the international golf tours? You forgot the man. No, I forgot the woman. Oh, the woman. Yeah, that's right. You forgot the woman. Steph Kirikou won the Ladies European Tour event in the Netherlands. And not only that, Corrie... But a week later, another Australian won the Scottish Open. I know we're on after fire. After Lucas Herbert won the Irish Open last week, so Perth's Min Woo Lee won the Scottish Open in a playoff. It's the first sort of it leads into the first big, um, well, the the big major, the British Open, of course. So incredibly exciting times for Australian golf. Thank you to Alex Gibson via email, who always plays cod- podcasts when driving, and op- often when it ends, a random ones she subscribes to automatically begins. Um, she wants to say that so often she hopes our show pops up next. So thank you very much. We cheered Alex up when she was a bit down. She loves the recipes, the drinks, the reviews, the general chat. We make her day. I was very. I just thought that was a lovely.
2: That is really nice. And and uh, MS Rule said uh, she completely agreed with your, your review of The Heights, Caro, recently. You you reviewed that. I've and seen that...
1: another great film too, Corrie, I'm going to tell you about today. Oh,
2: Listen, at some point, Potties, I will get back into screen mode. She will let me – I will wrestle this in BSF. I will wrestle
1: the S off her, but at the moment she's on a bit of a roll. So our special guest today is Julia Banks, the author of Power Play, Breaking Through Bias, Barriers and Boys Club. It's published by Hardy Grant. It retails at $34.99. Corrie, you and I have spoken about this book already, but it's with great pleasure that Julia
0: actually joins us on the show today. Julia, welcome. Oh, thank you so much. And it's with great pleasure that I'm here. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Julia, congratulations on the book.
2: Uh, We we had before it arrived in our shop last week we had many many pre-orders which I think is always a, a sign of a books a, a buzz about a book and there's no doubt that your incredibly compelling interview on the ABC 730 with Laura Tingle really smashed everything out of the ballpark just the fact that Laura let you speak I thought it was a, a great lesson in, in in how to interview someone just to let them talk I thought she did an amazing job there were so many books bombshell moments, uh, It well, of course, in the book, but also in that interview. And one of the things I found interesting, I want to cut to the chase on Scott Morrison and the culture of the Liberal Party. Um, and yeah. you, said, you said to Laura that Scott Morrison is very good at controlling the narrative. And I wondered if yeah. you could just explore what you mean by that just a bit with um, with our listeners.
0: Yeah, so this um, whole concept of controlling the narrative doesn't necessarily mean the narrative is true is the truth, and um, when um, it, it, I mean S- S- Scott Morrison had wanted um, to sort of control me from from the get go, really, um, it, from the time that I said that I wasn't you know I was going to make this announcement that I wasn't going to recontest the next election and it was happening so in, it was almost like I, I it was ahead of me I didn't understand it was happening um you know I I knew he wasn't happy that I hadn't voted for him I but I I fundamentally made the decision because I made the decision that I'm out. I I basically decided the the coup and the behaviour during the coup was the last straw after having lived an entrenched workplace culture and when i gave him that 24 hours notice um, that created this vacuum for him to control a narrative about me which was his way of explaining to people why i had left i was leaving the party and that was that i was this weak petal and i i, I the way he the way he did it was um, obviously by giving him that twenty four hours well it wasn't obvious to me at the time. I thought I was just doing the professional thing, giving him time to prepare a, a statement but it it was um it gave him time and I found out subsequently for the for him to brief his pMO um, they started leaking the story overnight and started backgrounding the press that I had had some sort of emotional background that. Back, um, Breakdown, and then of course his first press conference, his doorstop press conference, where he was asked, you know, what do you think about Julia Banks not recontesting the election, the next election, and he was ready for it. He just put on this uh, show of, all I'm doing is I'm checking in with Julia, I'm ringing her, in, you know, in what has been a very torrid time for her to help her, and and so it was all. This this control of this narrative. It was all the pieces were fitting together as far as the external world was concerned. And I remember watching it on television, thinking, "What's he saying?" Like he's, not, <laughs> and then um, then I got some phone calls from from people and uh, they explained it to me.
2: And your sin and your me. sin of course was that you were you you were supportive of the PM at the time um, Malcolm Turnbull during this um this Correct. this palace yeah. coup and then you were the only then, woman to vote for Julie Bishop to become leader that in itself in the book I found a really interesting revelation that you were the only woman. Yeah. Um so yeah. clearly you got offside with the with the Scomo camp who had it seems reading between the lines of your book had been plotting actually this 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 play for, uh, it wasn't just an impromptu kind of decision for Scott to put his hand up and, and asked, you know, get Peter Dutton off the agenda. It was actually something. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. I called him out on two things. One was that he was a key ringleader in the coup, that he wasn't this, you know, accidental prime minister. Um, but, but also, Cory, the other, the other sin, aside from voting for Julie Bishop, the other sin was that in my statement, I I obviously wanted to be honest, but there were four words that basically made me the whistleblower. And the, those four words were, I referred to the entrenched anti-women workplace culture in the parliament, which I've witnessed and experienced from both sides, from both the Labor Party and it was those five words and from within my own party. That made me the whistleblower, that created the backlash. That even though, you know, it was a very measured statement, it was I'm going to support Scott Morrison and Josh Weinenberg and in the at that time I said and and the new candidate, because I was planning to go quietly, so to speak. I was planning to um, you know, announce I wasn't going to recontest but continue my advocacy and see out my term. I felt I owed that to my, certainly to my constituents and I didn't want to sort of, you know, I could have, Uh, could have quit and I didn't want to do that Um, um, and I'm sure he didn't want me to do that because that would have triggered a by-election but I didn't want to do that because it's an esteemed platform of advocacy to have and I wanted to respect that and use that time you know whatever remaining time I had as an MP But, um, but what triggered it sort of happened in three stages and what triggered that um, that second decision, the, well, I'm, I'm really out, I'm just out of the Liberal Party, was this, that three months of his leadership trying to silence me, trying to create this sense of fear, trying to send me overseas. He even, um, uh, so when I said, I, uh, no, I'm not going to New York, he then said, well, let me talk to Bill, as in Shorten, the opposition leader, and I'll negotiate a parliamentary pair. So he wanted a way of getting me out of the parliament and out of the country. The Victorian forces were almost working in conjunction, in the sense that well, they were they were worse. The Victorian um, elders and power brokers they wanted me out. They didn't care if it triggered a by-election because they wanted me out of the parliament. Um, um, because they feared I'd out them under parliamentary privilege. So it was it was all happening, <laughs> basically. And we, sh- yeah. we should
1: mention that, Julia, when you won the seat of Chisholm in 2016, I think you were the only Liberal national candidate to beat a sitting Labor candidate, and you did so in Victoria, which traditionally does very well with Labor. So you were a very valuable commodity to the Libs. What, I mean, we've got so many things we want to ask you, but what horrified <laughs> me was that it was... Um, Malcolm Turnbull was like your puppet master when you left, when you walked away from you know your position, yeah. and then when you stood as an independent for the seat of Flinders, I remember the Sarah Henderson article in the Daily Telegraph suggesting that Labor had become your puppet master. That's
0: right, absolutely extraordinary. A woman that can't think <laughs> for herself.
1: Yep, yeah, and I it I just was... can't remember that ever happening to a, you know a so-called renegade male politician.
0: Absolutely not. I mean, um, and I think at the time uh, when I made the announcement that I was going to serve the rest of my term as an independent, um, someone, a, a journalist, I think it did an analysis of the comparison between when I made that announcement and when Corey Bernardi, Corey Bernardi did that. And, I mean, Corey Bernardi had come back from New York on, on the um, ticket of the government and the taxpayer and decided he wanted to create a Donald Trump-type party of his own, let alone leave the Liberal Party. Um, but he was lauded and applauded by certain sections of the media. Yeah. yeah. So you did,
1: well, you did, you you were fairly silent and you let them get away at the time controlling that narrative. I don't know whether you felt powerless or what you were thinking or where it ended up, but at what point did you decide to, to put this, into print and to tell the truth and, and, and take back the control, which you have in, in a sensational way, I might say.
0: Yeah. Well, sensational that, good, really... not
1: sensational controversial, although it's probably a bit of both.
0: Yeah, that, that's look, that's a great question, Cara, and not one that someone has asked me before. Like, why did I stay silent about Morrison during that three-month period? And I'm sure there was a residual fear there. I mean, I was copying so much backlash they were trying to narrow the story down to the fact that I'd left because of, you know, I didn't cope with some bullying during some lobbying, <laughs> during lobbying, bullying, call it what you like, during the coup week. So they were trying to narrow it down to that and saying, name the name. She hasn't named the names. Not all men she's putting. So they, um, but from my perspective, I was copying so much backlash. I was under so much siege anyway, that I just wanted to just keep going and, um, um, you know, to to basically continue my advocacy and then run as an independent. And why did I take so long? Well, I, I, uh, you know, I never intended to write a book. Um, and then I. Um, so many people were telling me I should um, as I was sharing the stories and I'm actually I'm actually really glad that I took the time and didn't write it until later because I think a lot of recovering politicians, if you like, they write a book too soon um, or they write a book where they're not completely honest because they're worried about their post-parliamentary careers, um, you know, because you're talking about, you know, powerful people who can... You know, play a hand in your post-parliamentary career. Now, I didn't have that concern, um, but I certainly didn't want the book just to be about the dysfunction of the Liberal Party and uh, and Morrison. I wanted it to be something useful for women across industry, across sectors, because I just felt that you know that whilst my experience in Parliament House was four years, I had twenty plus years in very blokey cultures, and I thought. The, the po- political um, spectrum really just amplified what still goes on but probably in a more covert covert way in a lot of other sectors and the other sectors have improved a lot. So I, I sort of felt I want it to be an honest sort of resource guide for individual, for women particularly obviously, but also to have that macro view of what could be done to help to ensure that we get more women in leadership positions. Well, you certainly do that in the
2: book, Julia, particularly at the back half of the book when you make really strong and important observations about how we can fix the problem in Parliament. Uh, and and obviously gender equality and um, and policies that relate to being proactive about bringing women into parliament are part of that. I was listening to your podcast interview that you did with Catherine Murphy of the Guardian uh, over the weekend, and I was really interested um, to to hear you talking about the timing of the book that you had written. Most of the manuscript. Uh, come March, when of course the yeah. Brittany Higgins thing blew up, and Christine Holgate's back in the news, and these sort of events are happening, that you thought that it was funny because if you'd written the, if you'd submitted the earlier manuscript and then done a second book, you would have just called called the second book "Told You So" or "Told You." <laughs> Yeah. Because, yes. because, because everything that you outlined in that first manuscript actually started unfolding. That true. That life was imitating um, the art of your book.
0: Yeah, and and it's all about leadership at the end of the day, and that's what we've seen a lack, a complete absence of leadership in Morrison during that six-month period which started with um, the, the harrowing story of Brittany Higgins and then the cascade of events and how he, his incompetence and uh, attempts to try and manage it and, again, control the narrative. It was, there were some eerie moments during that and I can remember thinking, thinking to myself, told you, told you. <laughs> you know? And, of course, I had to go back into the manuscript to update it because it would have looked really up
1: you know, out of date. You um yeah you 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 we talked today when Ms. is about to premiere on the ABC. It hasn't gone to air as we speak, but it will very, very soon. And um I gather from watching um uh, insiders over the weekend that at least one woman has come back to Annabelle with a story that he chose not to divulge that when she did the interview late last year and you too yeah. chose not to name. You're the, yeah. the, the man who, well, made a completely inappropriate gesture gesture towards you. Can you tell yeah. us a bit about that or particularly why you chose not to name him?
0: Yeah. Um, so I, I was always going to tell that story, Caro, but I was never going to name the name. Um, and um, I I think I devote about a thousand words to explaining why I'm not naming names because I was – literally being goaded, you, know, you know, three years earlier when I first um, called out the behaviour to name names. And, and it basically, my view is I didn't want this book to be about personalities. Uh, you know, I know a name would then just suck up the headlines and it would be yep. all about that. That would work to Morrison's advantage example and it would because it would narrow it down to that story and detract from the bigger issues which are about poor leadership um, working with people you can't trust controlling the narrative but also I mean the main reason is I'm not fearless I'm like unlike millions of uh, you know Australian women who this sort of thing happens to them every day um, and women have different reasons for not coming out about it. I get really annoyed with people in the one breath saying, you know, leaders, and we've heard them all say they have zero tolerance of this behaviour, call it out, call it out, you should call it out. Well, you know, the and whilst I you know, absolutely say that women like Brittany Higgins are remarkable and extraordinary, but the women who don't call it out are no less brave in my view because they have very good reason and I I was I'm fearful of defamation proceedings. I don't, I, you know, I've done the best I can do to tell that story. Um, but to go any further and to give any more detail, I don't want to inflict that what could be emotional, social, financial pain on me and my family.
1: I think that's that. No, I completely understand that, Corrie. I know is going to get another crack at you with an event that's coming up. She's going to tell us about in a moment, but I, I'm yeah. just fascinated. Is life better now away from Canberra and out of politics?
0: Life is is better now away from Canberra, being in human land, um, and I I, I um. It was really quite fascinating for me because when I went back when I left politics and started getting into real life I, I just uh, but but even that i've got to say that happened when I ran the independent campaign that sort of restored my faith in community and democracy because there was none of this major party. Politicing or internal—it was just a group of amazing people um, wanting to fight for what's important to them in in our country. And um, and I remember attending a function um, during the independent campaign, in the Mornington Peninsula Business Association. And I remember saying, "You know, it is wonderful to breathe the business air again, <laughs> as opposed to that very constrained sort of area where." You know, there are people in Parliament House who who just don't think the way humans do, <laughs> normal people do. But but that was the conundrum in my in my brain, and that's what I you know want uh, for the future is that. We need women, we're we're severely underrepresented on those green seats in our federal parliament and we need, we absolutely need equal representation so I really, you know, want to encourage women in all positions of power, um, just not in business but in, you know, across all sectors and certainly in federal politics.
2: Would you stand for politics again, Julia, at at any level? (laughs)
0: Look, I, I've been asked that question quite a lot, Corrie. I My philosophy in life is never say never. Um, you know, I, I've got to say my family and friends were staggered when I said I'm going to join the Liberal Party, even I'm just going to join the Liberal Party. Why? Well, you know, there's good moderates in there and um, they're calling for more women. And I I was just intending to participate, but, of course, it's all, all sort of escalated from there. But... Um, Yeah, I never say never, but I'm certainly already helping a lot of women, particularly young women. Um, answer that call <laughs> well we would we would love to see you uh,
2: still in in the forum in, in at whatever level of, um, of advocacy uh, Carol and I talk a lot about this in the years that we've had our podcast it's very important to us because of course like you we have been victims of subtle and sometimes of sexism um, yeah the, your book your book is 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 not just a, a kind of a tell-all about um Canberra life, I have to tell Potties. I love, for example, you talking about how you're no stranger to prejudice because as the child of two Greek parents, of course, you copped it in the playground in the 60s and 70s as a child. Um, you talk about corporate life. You were a very successful corporate lawyer for many years. You talk about that, uh, again, a, a tussle that Carol and I have had over the years of being a working mother, a working woman who has children yeah. and how various members of your, your inner circle and outer circle judge you or, or, or you know commend you or otherwise for what you're doing. It's a really fabulous book, Julia, and I can't wait, as Caro said, to have another um, chat about this. If anybody is interested in joining us, I will be in, a, in conversation, we call it, in conversation with Julia on the 28th of July. At 6pm, the venue is at Café Latte in Hawksburn in Malvern Road, Hawksburn. And if you'd like to book a ticket, Potties, you can just jump onto mybookshop.com.au and just follow the events link and um, go click. And Miss Jane will obviously put something in our show notes. Julia, congratulations on this outstanding book. I think it has a long life beyond what is currently happening at the moment, which is, I must say, a very interesting time for those of us watching Canberra and how it's evolving
0: Thanks so much, Corrie and Cara. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I could talk about this for, forever with amazing women like your good selves. So thank you so much for having me on your pod. I really appreciate it. Congratulations on the
1: book, Julia. Thanks so much. Corrie, did you stay up on Saturday night? Caro, I
2: tried, but we had, as you know, I was in the middle of our weekend golf tournament and it had been a rather arduous day on the Saturday. I was actually a co-leader on Saturday of the tournament And maybe I might have had just one glass of wine too many, but I did record it and I did see her lovely speech where she acknowledged Yvonne Goolagong and became teary and, of course, I started bawling like a baby. What it a was a hero.
1: It was absolutely wonderful. Did you stay up? No, I didn't. I didn't. I, I didn't. I'd, I'd had a, um, a big week and a big day, but I watched it from the second set on in replay the next day, and the minute I woke up on Sunday morning, which was very, very early, I grabbed my phone to look it up, and I was so happy he won. And, you know, I'm not – I hate to, you know, not live in the moment, but – I just hope she becomes the first Australian since Mark Edmondson to win the Australian Open because, you know, she you just felt it was there for her last year. The way she won this one, though, having to pull out of the French Open. Um, obviously, when I, when I work at Channel 9, um, Sam Groth and Todd Woodbridge and Yelena Dockich are all hosting the Wimbledon show as they did the French Open, and I spend a bit of time with them in the lead-up. I could do without Sam Groth kicking footies with the footy classified team, and now Craig Hutchison back at cricket balls. Honestly, it's like you know these balls whizzing around the you know the the office are very distracting. But
2: in the old day with Don Lane and Bert Newton, everybody used to get smashed on
1: grog in the green room. Now they're playing football. Well, well, well it's not the green room; it's like the room we're preparing for the well, show. Well, I still call it the green room. Certainly, there might the be old grog Mark after the show, in but in not me. before the show. Anyway, um, look. They, nobody felt she was a chance at the start of the tournament because, you know, they really felt she was carrying this injury and the first game or two they were like, mm. and then it just started to click. Oh, my heaven. It was just She was strong and she really
2: peaked in that game. It was a terrific performance by both players. And, Carol, you're right about, about Australia. I would love her parents and, and all her family and friends to be there when she – because, of course, they couldn't travel because of COVID restrictions and so on. So they were, were unable to be
1: there with her. So I do hope, uh, like you said, that she, she flies in January. And um, to watch her win it in front of a crowd just made me... I know the decision's coming in September about the Australian Open. The players won't quarantine again like they did last year. They want to travel in this international bubble, as they have been for all the other international tournaments. Um, I know we need to be sensible. And, you know, again, as we sit here today, Sydney, you know, has inadvertently sent COVID back down to Victoria, um, which is a real worry. And um, we just hope that this is nipped in the bud And that, um, and I don't, by no means am I blaming New South Wales. It was, you know, one unfortunate rogue truck driver. But um, I really hope that the Australian Open is back on this year with people in the stands and with all the best international tennis players.
2: Well done, Ash Barty. And on that note, we should have a drink to your success.
1: It's time to visit the cocktail cabinet. Miles Thompson is here today. And, Miles, we're actually not talking about alcohol because it's... For some of us, dry July.
3: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the non-alcoholic category is is really booming at the moment. So you know, obviously, all the health benefits of reducing your alcohol intake and all those sort of things. But you know, there's been some pretty savvy people sort of entering the market and making some really great stuff, and particularly in the sort of in the faux gin, I guess you'd call it, a non-alcoholic gin category, which we've got a couple here today, which we're going to try.
1: And which, of course, we can buy at Prince Wine Store. And remember that Prince Wine Store sponsors this wonderful segment, Corrie, bringing Melbourne's Melburnians the greatest wine in the world. You can visit Prince Wine Store. Dot com.au. And don't forget, we have a wonderful competition. We have another double pass to give away. Head to www.icanwin.com.au to enter the competition, which means you do the special wine course, an introductory wine course. Um, I'll tell you about the winners in a moment, Corrie, but... Um, You've got some unusual looking bottles there. They look so. They look too beautiful to be non-alcoholic, Miles.
2: Oh, I can feel that she has her eyes on this, Miles, for her interior <laughs> <on> decorating.
3: The... <laughs> for
2: my Hands cocktail off. cabinet,
3: Corrie. <laughs> Absolutely.
2: They are beautiful. I have to declare an interest before you go on, uh, Miles, in that I assisted one of the gang with their website copy, which is a little side hustle of mine, uh. which was a lot of fun. Um, so I'm just declaring my interest there, Carol. in case anybody says, hey, you're
1: on the payroll. <laughs> yes. Tell us about banks, Miles.
3: Oh, well, first we've got Sapir. In the okay, so sorry. Got... No, no, all it's right. all good. So maybe we start with that. So the uh, Brunswick Aces um, uh, are the crew that make this. Um, it's a Sapir, which is, uh, I guess, like an old, it's basically distilled like gin, but not, not with alcohol. Some of the non-alcoholic gins, are sort of made with like additives and you know chemicals of the various aromas and flavours and things like that. But these are – and I think the Banks Botanicals are the same. They're both distilled. So they actually distill from the, the berries and the herbs and all those sort of things. So it is pretty much made like a gin, just with no alcohol.
2: Sniffing this, this little sample mm. in our glass, this the first hit I get is cloves.
3: Yeah, I don't very even know where so. the
2: cloves are in it, but it's a yep. really—it's isn't it? It's like a Christmas spice,
1: clovy earthy sort it's of. It's lovely, and it's not too sweet like a lot of the, you know. Well, I call them fake gin, which is really a terrible thing yeah. to call them, but it, yeah. it's not too sweet. It's lovely. And how would you have this one, Miles? How would you drink this? appear Would you have well, it straight on ice or?
3: Yeah, look, I, I, I would just treat them like I would treat any any sort of gin, and and these ones, this uh, the. the uh, um, the Spades, as this is called, is their sort of classic, trying to be their classic sort of London dry. So just with tonic, is perfect. Yeah.
1: Okay, dash of lime, maybe some pink peppercorns. Dash pepper
3: of lime, greens. yep, or, or if you like Orange rind. Like, yeah, or even some sort of citrus-type sort of blend, like if you like grapefruit, you know, cappy grapefruit or some of those things would be really interesting with that too.
1: Could even try it with a dash of soda in my lemon cordial mine. That would
3: actually be perfect. So lemon, there's a lot of lemon myrtle in that, and I think the same with the banks here as well. They actually have quite similar... Uh, Makeups these two, so it'll be quite interesting.
1: I
2: can tell you everything about Banks. Yeah, having having worked with yeah, well you so, probably know more than I do. So, well, I was just going to say that it's a really lovely story of three Melbourne people who decided they were sort of the name is inspired by Joseph Banks, who had such an interest, of course, in our um, flora history in the early yeah. days. And Banks is made up, Carol, of five uh, five different. Um, uh, what do you call them? Floral. Botanicals. Botanicals. Yeah, botanicals. And they've used water from the Yarra Valley. There's a distillery just outside of Hillsville. So there's this lovely kind of coming together of the natural local area and local vegetation. And the yeah, distilling it's process itself has been quite interesting. But these five flavours mm. should probably sink through in our taste, which mm. we're about to have in a minute. So these... I will.
1: So how did you come across Banks, Miles, or how did Prince Wine Store? Uh, I came across it through um, the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, it's a bit of a cross-pollination. That's
3: wonderful. They were very good. They sent a couple of samples, and I've already tried them. I think it's a really great product, so...
1: And it's a really beautiful um, bottle. And they, ha-
2: and they just bottle. started, dare I say, it's a, label. A, go- a gorgeous website too, which everybody can go and visit. I'm
1: getting cinnamon from this one, Corrie. Mm. Yeah. Has it got a touch of cinnamon Def- in it?
3: Definitely. I'm pretty sure it does.
1: No, no cinnamon. Oh, no,
3: but they do say something about it. No, There's, I think that um, must be the cassia bark.
1: Mm, that's oh, the cassia. Which yeah. is very similar, isn't it? In mm. fact, it's a cassia stick and a cinnamon stick. They're different, are they? They are different. different. And they look so different.
2: It has pepper berries pepper in berry. it. And it has, um, what are the other, I should remember off by heart, I can't, the other three. Mm-hmm. I'll have a little look. Um,
3: pepperberry and the Brunswick Aces too, um, and lemon myrtle as well. Yeah, lemon, it's lemon, pretty, pretty there's, there's
2: lime carro, lemon myrtle, and uh, yes, and the cassia and. Um, the pepperberry, and I can't remember what the fifth one is, but uh, they it are is both, really beautiful. They're
1: both lovely. I, I like this one as well. And, you it's know, it's funny It's funny about our psyche, isn't it? Because we are used to, you know, six o'clock or whatever time, you know, cocktail hour, having a drink, end of the day. And when I do embark on, which I must say I haven't this year, dry July, maybe I'll go for, what do you call August? I don't know. <laughs> whatever it's called. Cold in Melbourne. That's yeah. what I call it. <laughs> um, it is psychological if you make yourself a drink out of one of these beautiful i mean the, the banks or whatever with with some tonic or soda or however you want to have it and yeah. ice and you sit there and drink it and afterwards you think you don't Want another drink? It's actually quite an easy... If you get into that habit of thinking you're having a cocktail... It's p- the ritual, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, the people, hour passes people and often, then you're you okay.
2: And, you and I have, are often asked by our friends, why on earth do you and Cara always have tea in a teapot like real tea? Who can be bothered with the tea leaves and everything? It's hard to explain that part of the joy is actually the process. The taking the time out for the kettle to boil and then putting it in the pot and going through all the procedure. And I think also that, that after-work drink, there's something in that as well. You've put your tracksuit on or something, you've come out to the kitchen, sure. you've had a big day at 6.30, and it's the pouring of the drink, which you can easily and perfectly do with
1: these two beautiful bottles. Yeah. Can we collect them both at Prince Wine yeah, Store? Yeah, absolutely.
3: We'll have them both, both available. I'll put them up on the um, Don't Shoot the Messenger page, Great! And uh, if you're there yet, yeah, you can use the um, code MEWS and you'll get ten percent off as well.
2: And Miles, I'd love you to just tell me about the in, the introductory wine course, which, of course, you're very kindly giving away to a couple of listeners, um, two free tickets, I think it is, every two week free passes. But uh, what are we learning? How long does it go for, and what are we learning?
3: So it's four weeks, and and we we sort of break it up so you do white wine in the first week. We try to keep it to Australian for the first couple of weeks just so you're not looking at too many different things. So white wine to start, um, we talk a little bit about wine making there and that sort of thing. Week two you do reds and we start to talk about regional influence, you know, why certain wines from certain areas from the same variety might taste the same or different. Uh, then week three we talk about winemaking, so you get to look at champagne and sparkling wine, fortified wine, sweet wine, so all the different sort of categories. And then in the last week we do international wine, so France, Italy, um, Spain, and Germany. So you do a it's, a, it's a pretty quick run through for a big subject, but it's just a little introduction to the rest of the world of wine.
1: And what's the vibe like on the actual? Is it they, they're held in the evenings?
3: Yeah, six till eight. They with food as well, so the blotter kitchen provides a little bit of bit of food. um, so we try to do some wine matching, so kind of talk about how food and wine go together. And they're super casual. We we really keep them super casual. And
2: you're getting an Uber home, I imagine.
3: Co- yeah. Well, Co- we always encourage you to spit, but of course you're welcome oh, to drink. Oh, who does You're welcome that? to drink. You're welcome to swallow. It's fine. It's no problem.
1: One no one night in Amsterdam when I was feeling particularly lonely and I and you couldn't – everything it was in lockdown, so I, I bought some takeaway oysters at a seafood restaurant and the owner obviously had some friends in there and they were all sitting around, you know, eating oysters or eating their dinner and and it was raining and I was on my bike and – I went in, I thought, oh, I wish they'd just asked me to join them. But I stood outside and, you know, had my oysters sitting on ice in the little, you know, cardboard pack, almost balancing the bike and the rubbish bin and the oysters in the rain, thinking this is so tragic. And the the chef came out and I thought, oh, he's going to ask me in. And he handed me a glass of Chardonnay (laughs) because he felt sorry for me. And over the road at what is quite a famous wine shop in Amsterdam, it was after seven o'clock and it shut at seven. But I thought, look, I'll buy a bottle of nice chablis or something to take um, to my daughter and her partner and maybe have me. some myself. And there was all these people sitting around doing an introductory wine course. So they Ooh. let me in. And again, they said, you're most welcome. We're, if we're here, we're open. Come in. And, you know, he showed me around and I chose a bottle. Obviously, could only, I was on the bike, so I could only take one. And, um, again, I thought, I wish they'd asked me to join this wine course. They're all speaking Dutch, but, you know, the language of alcohol, a yeah. bit like the language of love. Exactly. It's universal. You know, yeah. Darla,
2: if, if, if someone had said, hey, that's Caroline Wilson, they would have all said, oh, come in. What do you reckon? No. Is Nathan Buckley going to get the arse from Collingwood? Some
1: bedraggled sort of, <laughs> you know, woman, Australian woman in a raincoat. But they looked as though they were having the best time, huddled around yeah. this table, trying all these wines. It just looked like so much fun.
3: It is. Look, it is fun. We've been doing them for... For, I don't know, since since the our original store in St Kilda, so 17 years, 18 years, probably a bit longer.
2: So speaking, so at, really speaking as someone who has done a, a bit of a wine course because we've run them through the bookshop over the years ah, quite successfully, in fact fun. probably too successfully, one year we couldn't get, get rid of them at about 9 o'clock at night, everybody was still drinking. But uh, I have to say, Carol, that you do pick up a lot of knowledge and it cements a lot of stuff that perhaps you've, you've observed mm. in your own tasting over the years or or maybe show-offy friends have told you at dinner parties ad nauseum and you've tuned out, but it's incredible how it enhances your wine appreciation. Yeah.
1: Well, Miles, okay. this week's lucky recipients are David Silvana, who's actually written us a poem as his entry. Please check out our show notes to be inspired by David's beautiful poem about the McGill Estate, where, of course, we buy the beautiful Penfolds wine. One of my great experiences mm. was going to the McGill McGill Estate for dinner. It's so close to the city of Adelaide. It's extraordinary that such a great winery is there. Anyway, great poem, David. David Silvana, congratulations. And Patrick Hill, You too are heading to Prince Wine Store for the introductory four-week wine course. You've written a lovely story about finding a bottle of plum wine at the back of the cupboard that your Ukrainian grandmother had bottled 20 years earlier. Anyway, fabulous entries, both on our show notes. And please go to Prince Wine Store because it is just the most wonderful place. If you can go in person... To the South Melbourne flagship Corrie. it's just an experience. Well, Caro,
2: isn't it? you and I keep saying when we 're a little less busy we're going there we 're going to um, bolotto for lunch and then we 'll go next door and buy some wine next week, of course, uh, we are following our, the most successful uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago on Italy next week we 're going to France. Mm. And Miles will have some French wines for us, Carol. Are we really going to France? Corey? We're going to
1: France! <laughs> we are! Pack your bags, everyone! In spirit. Oh, well, that sounds brilliant. So, look, tell us again, Miles, very quickly about these two wonderful botanical drinks.
3: Yeah, so we've got the Brunswick Aces uh, Spades Sapir um, and the Banks Botanical um, Non Alcoholic Gins. And there's lots of other stuff too obviously. We just looked at the gins, but there's lots of great non-alcoholic beer and other things like, you know, non-alcoholic Campari style.
1: Yes, so my We have my, a
3: full range of stuff too. My so friend really Tanya
1: has perfected the non-alcoholic Negroni. Negroni, yeah. Which Fantastic. you know, believe it or not, actually she reckons tastes pretty acceptable. Yeah. So, um, And if anyone can do it, she can. No, look, Miles, that's a fantastic topic today for all of you doing Dry July. Good on you, particularly those who are doing it for a particular cause. Even if you're not, just settle into the banks one night and Mm. you might just find you enjoy it. Mm. That was the cocktail cabinet for Prince Wine Store. Remember, use the promo code M-E-S-S, that's short for messenger, at the checkout online to receive a listener discount and visit Prince Wine Store in person or at au, and tell them that Caro and Corrie sent you. And now for
2: Crush of the Week for Red Energy. Most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. And can I just remind you, Caro and Miss Jane, that I actually have Red Energy through my house and through my shop. So there you go. We're a big fan of Red Energy. Caro, you have a crush.
1: Well, I might say, Corrie, it, it, we do this week about, and it's actually your turn to have a crush, but you wanted to be grumpy, so I've taken one for the team. And it was easy this week because in the theme of girl power, which we seem to be doing today, I want to just um, say that I was so happy to see Kath Luffnan on Fox Footy co-hosting AFL 360 in recent weeks. Last week, when Gerard Waitley, who is a brilliant broadcaster, of course, and this is nothing against Gerard, it's great to have him back now, he was, um, he was away, commentator as well. So Kath Luffnan filled in with Mark Robinson on AFL 360. She's a fabulous footy commentator. I want to see more of her. She did a great job on 360 in a week when some pretty big stories broke, including the one about your coach, Alistair Clarkson. And more power to Kath. She's one of a stable of really great presenters on Fox Footy and I was really glad to see her elevated again. That's a very good crush.
2: So now we'll go on to BSF, Caro, book screen food.
1: Well, Corrie, I was happy, lucky enough to go to, well, I thought it was your last bookshop event as a physical bookshop, but now we know you've got Julia Banks.
2: Well, um, yes, but the Julia Banks week will actually officially be closed. So it was our last bookshop event with the shop open. So I what know, day a does the
1: shop actually close?
2: Well, probably, probably Saturday week. So what's that? I can't remember, the 24th or the 25th or something.
1: Of July. Yeah. Well, get in there, guys, because there are some wonderful books. Oh, And I had a great time at your shop the other day. Well, Carol, can
2: I... Filling up my present drawer. Well, thanks for shopping with us. And um, I just have to say that, uh, again, I know I've said this before, but it comes from the bottom of my heart. Potties, you guys are so amazing. The number of you who are coming into the shop expressing your sorrow about what's happened, buying books, being supportive, saying, we're going to follow you, mybookshop.com.au.
1: It's great. So thank you. We have a wonderful community, Caro. They are such a great gang. But on this particular night last week, you very kindly asked mum, Julia, and I to come and have a look at the wonderful David McAllister, whose book Soar, that is S-O-A-R, a Life Freed by Dance. Um, You did a great interview with him. He's just such a charming guest and he's written a fabulous book. Tell he us has. about it. Well, the, the,
2: this is his memoir, Caro. So David McAllister, of course, came into, burst onto the scene literally when he jumped uh, high, leaping across the stage as a young ballet dancer. He was quite quickly promoted to the principal uh, status with the Australian Ballet and he danced with them for many years. And then in 2001, he was appointed artistic director of the Australian Ballet, a post he held until last year. So he is Australian Ballet through and through. And what a charming person. And as I said the other night, I've known him since I first interviewed him in the mid 80s. And it's just been a privilege and a joy to watch his career flourish. This autobiography or this memoir Caro saw, it, f- it first came out before Christmas as a hardcover. It is now in a paperback, less expensive edition, thirty two ninety nine. a copy. And we thought this was a good opportunity to get David in because, of course, before Christmas isn't such a great time to have events. Everybody's so busy. And boy, was it fascinating, Caro. Lots of it love was. in the room, wasn't it?
1: Oh, I mean the The stuff about his relationship with Mayna Gilgood, um, his relationship with Kelvin Coe, which um you made the point that you felt like there was so much of Kelvin in this book, including the introduction. Um, you know their their early romance, mm-hmm. um their ongoing relationship. um the fact that you know when he said goodbye to Kelvin, he probably didn't realize he was saying goodbye for the last time. I mean, they were the things that stayed with me. What it was like growing up being different in WA, in Perth, um, going to visit the Australian Ballet School for the first time when the parents took them on holidays to Melbourne, Just
2: the story of his dad. That his dad drives him past the old. It used to be the old (laughs) Flemington. Flemington, Yeah, the old um, um, airplane hangars from World War Two, and uh, many memories in that rather foul building. But um, the father drove. David's father drove past, and David said, "Okay, that's fine. We can go now." Because he was struck with complete shyness. As a teenager And the father said I'm not coming all this way For you to just sit in the car Get out now So David went in And peered around Saw the big portrait Of Dame Peggy Van Praa The founder of The Australian Ballet And then rushed back to the car And then a couple of years later As we know Ended up dancing Firstly as a student With the Australian Ballet School And then with the Australian Ballet But the the thing that is so lovely About this book And I think um, would impact Many people Particularly young people Is that David is very candid About his sexuality and growing up in a conservative family, a Catholic family in Perth, being encouraged by his parents to follow his dreams. And as he said, the lesson he learned from his parents, the main lesson was resilience. And he was bullied as a schoolboy. In fact, throughout his school life, he was called Poofta and Ballet Boy and all sorts of uh, like, just some of the anecdotes broke your heart. But he kind of came through and he was determined and dogged. And even when Mayna Gielgud was summing him up, he, she said to him, you will never be Prince material, meaning he'd never dance a lead role in a ballet because he was short in stature. And he was determined and, of course, you know culminates with the, the the night that he danced Albrecht and Giselle and actually uh, wowed and wowed the reviewers and everybody who was there so it's a it's a fabulous story. It's a really good story also about leadership of a company Caro, and and how to nurture talent and and what needs to be done. Um, And so on so many levels, it's a great book, Saw
1: A Life Freed by Dance by David McAllister. I think Maynard even suggested he might get a nose job as well, didn't she? (laughs) She did.
2: He has such a prominent, wonderful kind of Roman nose. And it's for me, when he was on stage, that made him so charismatic because he has those beautiful cat-like eyes and this really fabulous physique. And he had a, he had a, big nose, a prominent nose. I think it just made him, actually.
1: He was of that sort of um, era, wasn't he? With, um, and and I, Stephen I think he Heathcote. grew up with Stephen yes, Heathcord. Yeah, he oh, he was a Perth boy, yeah. Perth boys and Miranda Coney. And there was a, I mean,
2: that Adam was... Marchant, Lisa Balty. It was just a stellar time. Yep. Fiona Tompkins, it was just a great time for Australian ballet. So I really recommend that book, A uh, saw. A Life freed by Dance. Now, uh, surprise, surprise, you've been off to the movies. I've been to the movies. At some
1: stage, I'm going to get a look in here. Corrie, had you gone to the movies, you could have. No, done I was. A film. I wanted to do
2: the David little, um documentary, which oh, was yes. on the
1: television. But well, anyway,
2: you go, ahead, which was brilliant. By the way, can I just say to potties if you didn't see it yep. on Sunday night, watch it on ABC
1: iView. It was, but I think now we can go back to the cinema. I think we're trying to support the cinema and celebrate indeed, the cinema. I know a lot right. of people still feel nervous about going, but they're pretty careful about seating and all that stuff. So I went with a couple of um, good friends and of yours and mine on Saturday afternoon late Saturday afternoon to see Dream Horse. Now this film this film debuted um well I think around the start of the school holidays and I thought this will be a good two week run well it's obviously done well because it's on everywhere still and it is just a beautiful film. I mean what made look- you pick it? Well, there was a choice of about three. There was a a really good French one that we'll probably see later on. There was um, one of the Scandi Film Festival that just looked a little bit long and (laughs) depressing, to be honest.
2: (laughs) They're always dark. Remember Babette's Feast? Oh, look at this (laughs) one. Which we loved, but we're just going, it's so dark. It's so like Well, the next
1: one on our list, if you're keen, is a French film called Perfume. That looks fantastic. Oh, yeah, no, I was
2: going to see that last week, actually. Remember I said to you I'm going to
1: the movies and something stepped in the way. Well, that seems to happen a lot with you. No offence. Anyway, Dream Horse stars Tony Collette, who absolutely... Oh well, no! I mean that in you. Something comes up. I mean because that you're in busy. the nicest way, as Dame Edna would say. Um, no, well, you're busy, and and you know, work gets in the way. Tony Collett absolutely holds his film together. She is isn't a star. she a star? And you know, she plays a wealth a Welsh woman from a small town. It's a small town in Wales. Tony Collett is married, working days and nights, looking after elderly parents. He has a depressed husband who's lost his job and suffers arthritis, and has. Is half his teeth missing, and um he's working in the local local supermarket and the local pub, but he always he loves animals. He just adores animals. Can I just ask, does she have
2: this lovely sing-song Welsh accent or has she just let that?
1: No, hey. no, she's got a brilliant Welsh accent, as does her co-star Damien Lewis, who, of course, you know very oh, well. Oh, Billions. Yep. Oh, well, he's, he's in everything, isn't he? I mean, Homeland. Rod out of Billions. The Foresight Saga. He's just a, a brilliant actor. And
2: married to...
1: The beautiful Helen McCrory, who, who died, died recently yes. of cancer. So he plays um, someone... Uh, a reasonably successful businessman who's lost a lot of money on a racehorse, and they sort of cross paths in the pub that she works in one night, and she decides to sire a horse. So she and her husband, who's been a, i think he was a vet anyway. Well, not sire a horse. She's not going to sire the horse. Well, they buy, they buy a – They're going to breed a horse. They buy a beautiful mare, and they send her off to stud, and she has a baby. The early shots of this little foal that they Were named you in Dream <laughs> Alliance, oh, look, there's a, it's a tearjerker, right? It's so beautiful. Well, look, it's in the little Welsh village. Everyone's down on their luck. People have lost their jobs. They managed to convince... Um, Several dozen members of the town to all put in ten quid a week to pay for this horse. They take her. Uh, they take Dream, as he becomes known, off to a very posh trainer. Pe- other people are arriving by helicopter. They arrive in the old truck. Um, the husband, she and her husband, played by Owen Till. This has got everyone in it: Joanna Page from Love Actually, Derek Jacobi, Bob's Up, um, Nicholas Farrell, who you've seen in everything, plays the trainer. Anyway, Dream. The, oh, they, national velvet all over again. They Caro. don't. They don't <laughs> want to look at Dream at the beginning, but then the trainer sees something in him. There are ups, there are downs. Oh, um, I love da- a
2: horse movie. Damien
1: Lewis, who's married to that gorgeous actress, Joanna Page, doesn't tell her about the horse. She finds out inadvertently. The meetings of the townsfolk are all putting in their 10 quid a week are uh, reminiscent of those um, wonderful meetings in um, The Vicar of Dibley, you know, which are just so funny. It's funny. It's a beautiful film about sport, about horse, about racehorses. You know, they're, they're jumps races, which, you know, so you're holding your, your hearts in your mouth. But, look, it just really... Uh, I'm not saying it's a a brilliant, brilliant Oscar winner, but this is a beautiful film and I highly recommend Dream Horse. Oh, I think I'll have to go and see that. And you've been in the kitchen, Corrie. Well,
2: I haven't actually been in the kitchen. I was... Um, I was... Uh the, lucky enough to be the recipient of this recipe, uh, on Friday night I went to uh, my friend Julie's house for dinner. It was is that very,
1: the latest Gourmet Traveller? It is indeed. I'm <coughs> cooking something out of that tonight. The okay. Spicy meatballs. This is such a good... Uh, There's There is. are so
2: many things I want to make out of this. So just so everyone knows, this is Gourmet Traveller... Um, I'm just checking. I know it's July, everybody, but sometimes these issues come out earlier. So this is July 2021, and it is the fire issue. So everything is smoked and um, on the barbecue and crusty and all of that, as is this cheesecake. It's the Basque cheesecake. I saw that. It is. Look, Julie made it, and uh, of course she made it. Who else would have? Uh, and, and when it comes... When you see it in the pan, you the first thought is, "Oh, you know, has she burnt the top?" Well, it's supposed to be like that. Can I tell everybody? Look at the picture. Don't be afraid. This is the this is the way this this uh, cheesecake is served in Spain. The burnt I won't,
1: Basque cheesecake. I
2: won't. I won't go through the uh, the procedure. Miss Jane will have it. But you know what? What I loved about this cheesecake, Cara, well, two things. One, it was light. It wasn't dense and heavy. And secondly, it wasn't too sweet. And I think from memory, Julie served it with uh, blueberries, but you could easily bring in a citrus element because it's winter. Um, It it has so many variables you could do. And it wasn't creamy and cheesecakey and fatty enough that you said, oh, no to the ice cream or no to the cream. You were completely going, yes, that's great. It was a really beautiful um, pudding. So thanks, Jules, for that. It was great. We had a lovely night and it's Basque cheesecake out of Gourmet Traveller, the fire issue, July. I absolutely love this recipe and I cannot wait to try it.
1: They sell um, the most beautiful burnt basque cheesecake at my favourite bakery, Kula Baker, in the Paran market, and I bought a whole one for Brendan's 60th last year. I'm embarrassed to say, when I saw that recipe in Gourmet Traveller, I thought, well, I'm never going to bother making that because it's so beautiful, a Kula Baker, but now...
2: Well, give it a go because, inspired it's, me. because I don't think it's all that hard, although I don't want to diminish... Um, my friend's efforts in cooking us dinner, but it was really lovely. Thank you uh, to our Red Energy supporters of Book Screen and Food. Call 131 806 for real Aussie energy, and the Melbourne based team will help you out.
1: What are you grumpy about today, Corrie?
2: I'm grumpy that I couldn't watch the European Cup. Yesterday morning, so I'm, today we're recording this on Tuesday, Monday morning, up at five, thinking I'll get to see this. I have Foxtel, so I'm a privileged person. Not on Foxtel, not on free-to-air, not on any, all, all my, all the things that I subscribe to, all the news services and I was so trying on, to BBC, find it too. CNN, absolutely going mental. My son, Will, who is living in another suburb, was watching it and having a fantastic time. And he said reminded me because I didn't know this all soccer is now on Optus although and you have to pay for pay for uh, the games that you watch although they did make the final three games free but honestly when you're ready to watch sit down and watch and it's such a big, and thinking of particularly the Italian population here in Melbourne why wouldn't somebody have picked it up and just made it available
1: I think there are a lot of people watching it on the big screens in Ligon Street and there were pubs. Don't you and... wish you were there? Oh, look, yeah... Um... I work with someone who was pretty excited about um, producer of footy, one of the producers at Footy Classified, and he produces the Sunday Footy Show, Luca, and he he was pretty happy on Monday night. (laughs) Oh, I can imagine it had been a big weekend for all of them. A horrible way to describe. I mean, Craig Hutchison loves the penalty shootout. It's a horrible way to win a yeah, and also, and and can I just say
2: the other part of the grumpy was just I mean, I mean, I'm beyond furious about the, uh, the this social media. Um, trolling of the um, the players. Who, the three Englishmen yeah.
1: who missed the penalties. Correct. Yep. And I'm not going to go any players. further on
2: that because it's just absolutely appalling. But uh, that although, makes me grumpy.
1: Although, why would you put a 19-year-old, your third shooter, penalty shooter, when he plays for Arsenal and he's never been used by Arsenal?
2: Well, well maybe to... the coach just felt that he, he, had the, he had what it took. Anyway, that's that. So um, on we go. And now six quick questions. My first question to you, Caro, has Richmond lost the plot?
1: No, Corrie, they've lost the hunger. Very simple answer, plus injuries. There's just They're just, at the moment, not prepared to go that extra one or two percent. Corrie, right back at you. Has Hawthorne done the right thing in announcing a succession plan with Alistair Clarkson handing over to Sam Mitchell? Yes. You cannot possibly continue with
2: this toxic relationship or seemingly toxic between the coach and the president. Uh, if, as long as Jeff Kennett's there... Alistair Clarkson is going to be under a cloud, and how can he possibly perform at his best? And I think Alistair Clarkson, actually, from what I've heard, is is quite uh, has come to terms with all of this, and I think for Hawthorne supporters, having Sam Mitchell step in is a real bonus. It's one of the family, and I think Alistair Clarkson will go on to great things, probably at the end of the year.
1: Carol, so, so you don't think it's so you don't think he's going to be there next year?
2: No, I don't think he's going to be well, there Well then next
1: year. You or, said,
2: has Hawthorne done the right but, thing? But and the I said, yes. plan
1: is meant to end at the end of next year.
2: No. Okay. Let's just, I think Hawthorne has done the right thing by saying that Sam Mitchell will be the next coach. Yes. And I think that will force everyone's hand, including other clubs. And I think that's probably all a good thing. That was a bit confusing. Um, okay. My question to you, which is probably more straightforward. Insiders on ABC turned 20 on Sunday. Who is or was your favourite panellist?
1: Oh, it's a brilliant show, isn't it? And it's, it's a brilliant show. It's still a brilliant show, but I do miss, miss Barry, Barry Cassidy. Cassidy. <laughs> he's such a who great Who wants host. to come on the podcast, Carol? Oh, we'll get him on. Well, we've had Heather on, so we may as well have Barry. Do you we think need he's to...
2: suffering relevance deprivation so much he wants to come on Don't Shoot the Messenger? No,
1: he's. he will never never be irrelevant. And it was never, great to see Barry. him back on we the show. We love you, Barry. It was great to see him back on the show on Sunday. Look, I think it was lovely they paid tribute to Matt Price, who was um, a friend of mine. And a friend of mine. He brilliant... was my colleague at The Australian. Yeah, brilliant sports writer, but obviously a great panellist on the Insiders. Love Annabelle Crabb um, when she was on the show. And I'm loving Catherine Murphy. They've got so, so many, but I think I'll single out Nikki Savva. She just calls it like it is. And I love her on the show. Now, Corrie, I know you're planning a holiday in New South Wales very mm. soon. I hate to say that it's now looking in doubt again which seems to be the way of things with your holidays? Oh my
2: God. I mean, you know, Port Ferry and Byron Bay.
1: Do you have an alternative?
2: I do, Caro. We actually talked about this the other night because it has been um, over a couple of years since Pete and I had a holiday. So we thought that if the wedding in Byron Bay doesn't go ahead and if we don't go to Byron Bay... We were going to have a holiday. We're going to jump in the car and we're going to go to the Fleurieu Peninsula in South Australia and we're going to go up to Adelaide and we're going to throw the golf sticks in the back of the car and just take off. Brilliant. Go via Port Ferry. Yeah, we're going to do that too. Great. Yeah, it's, we'll go for a week or something, but I'm not saying that this is a happy alternative because we do want... Um, the wedding to go ahead, but let's just see what happens. Caro, can you describe for us the moment the stars collided for you last week?
1: Oh, I'm going to give Miss Jane a photo of this, Corrie. I took my little Queenie for a walk. I was with Anna from the op shop and her beautiful schnauzers, Freddie and Monty, and we walked to... um, a park we don't normally go to. We often we sometimes go to, but we've never taken Queenie and we've never let the dogs off the lead. Queenie, to cut a long story short, bounded towards this beautiful little black Labrador that looked exactly like her in oh, shape and size. Who belongs to what? Tom Cruise or? It was her sister. Oh no! It was her sister, Queenie's her, sister. Queen. Her name was Dusty, and um, <laughs> the owner of Dusty. Walked up towards us and he had the same red lead from the the kennel that we bought Queenie. And he, he, long story short, this um, lad's fiancé was a year below my daughter Rose at school, so he recognised me and his fiancé had recognised Rose's dad in the Zoom meeting they had with all the owners when they all met back in um, March or April to talk about the forthcoming purchase of said pups. Corrie, they rumbled, they rolled oh, around. Oh, really? It was the most beautiful thing. And,
2: and a promise of future
1: play dates? Well, we both photographed them and um, Brendan actually um, sent a photo off to um, his friend at Channel 7 who put it on Instagram and there was so there was a huge response. And I think, I don't know this, but I think Jack, the owner of Dusty, also put a photo on Instagram, although I'm, um, my other daughter told me this, but I didn't see it because I don't follow oh, him. Did you have tears? I would have been No, but and we, were bo- we were both... Um, really, um, we were just both so happy because they clearly knew each other. Was, oh. And they were identical and they were so happy to see each well, other. Well, you've got to
2: get them together again. You can't have the sisters apart for years and years.
1: Well, you th- apparently if they get together within the first 12 months of their lives, they'll always remember each other. Oh, well, I'm so, Anyway. I don't know about it's you. It's not, and it Arby,
2: wasn't. Jane's crying, it I'm crying. It wasn't a quick answer. It's a, was a, a, it's a bit of a happy animal I show. I always wanted one.
1: to lead the podcast on that story, but I thought I'd put it into questions. Corrie, what was your TV viewing highlight well, of the give, Well,
2: given that it's Tuesday morning, Carol, I'm still in the middle of it, the MasterChef grand finale. Oh. What about the
1: return of Cle- What about I Miss mean, re- Jane, I'm not giving any spoilers. What about Don't Kevin worry? McLeod's return?
2: Oh, I'm loving that. That's all on... T- I, I've, I've, ta- I've, ta- and I've taped all that and I've taped Stanley. Everybody's on hold till MasterChef's over. I am obsessed, obsessed. And at the golf tournament uh, on Saturday night, I was just trying to find someone amongst our rather large gang of people with whom I could uh, discuss and... <laughs> I don't know how it came up, but I heard Annie down, the, my friend Annie on the other side of the table talking about MasterChef. And I said, are you watching? Well, that was it. Off we went for half an hour, just, just amongst ourselves, talking about the contestants, what they're cooking, who we think is going to win. But of course, it's not a spoiler alert, Jane, but the family came in because they do every year. So the families come in at the three contestants who are left. And of course, you know, you're sobbing. Again, another crying. I mean, a lot of tears with me this week. I must be very emotional. Anyway, that's it. Master Chef. If you haven't seen it, get
1: it on. I don't know,
2: iView or whatever the Channel
1: Ten equivalent of that is. I think I'll stick with Grand Designs. Corrie, it was lovely to see you. Well done for organising Julia Banks. I really enjoyed meeting her and talking to her. She's great. And I look forward to your your event, which is going to be at Cafe Latte in the Hawkspoon Village in Malvern Road. Uh, what date? The 28th of July? Correct. Uh, that's going to be fantastic and um, i do recommend get to corrie's bookshop in the next couple of weeks and pick up a copy of power play 34.99 um if you're a don't shoot the messenger listener and you mention the podcast corrie might even give you a discount
2: Oh my God. You, you're just you're just throwing away the family farm there, Caro. But what we do want everybody to take note of is our event on Thursday, the 22nd of July. This is our podcast matchup with our dear friends, Craig Hutchison and Damien Barrett from The Sounding Board. Isn't it a coincidence, interesting coincidence, Caro, that Jane, our lovely producer, also produces The Boys?
1: I wonder who she prefers to produce... Don't shoot the sounding board, Corrie. That was Don't Shoot the Messenger for this week. Those tickets, as Corrie said, are $35 a person and proceeds are donated to the Breast Cancer Network Australia. Thank you to our podcast sponsors, Red Energy, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas and the wonderful Prince Wine Store. You can connect with us via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter and if you want to get our show notes delivered to your inbox each week, hit the sign up button on Facebook or in our show notes or send us an email and we'll subscribe you. Email feedback at dontshootpod.com.au and Corrie, don't shoot the messenger.
0: Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Thanks to Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for Real Aussie Energy. For all things home design, enjoy Home Star with me, Shana Blaze. All the ideas and inspiration you need for your home, DIY design projects and expert advice.
2: Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series, available from wherever you get your podcasts and the SEN app.